listening to the Nick and Nolan Show, a Buffalo Rumblings podcast with your host, Nick Bat. Sometimes I'll start a sentence and I don't even know where it's going. I just hope I find it along the way. And Bruce Nolan. I once worked with a guy for three years and never learned his name. Best friend I ever had. Welcome, everybody. Thank you so much for joining us for this edition of the Nick and Nolan Show, a Buffalo Rumblings podcast. I'm one of your co-hosts, Nick Bat. You can find me on Twitter at N-I-C-K-B-A-T. And along with me, as always, Bruce Nolan. You can find me on Twitter at Bruce Exclusive. You live. Bruce lives. I do live. I'm back on my bullshit. That's right. It is about that time. It's about that time. I'm back on my bullshit. I am. People, people, there were some, I, I bet you there was a handful of people who were, uh, you know, you got a lot of love, didn't you? you? There was a lot of people who were sending you well wishes. Yeah. The interesting thing about that was, of course, knowing me typically, right, I, I would prefer not to say anything. But the only reason I initially tweeted out that, hey, you know, I'm going to be going to be on, you know, out of commission for a little bit is because I had signed up and Joe had already announced that I was going to fill in at Locked on Bills. And so I was like, okay, so they're expecting multiple episodes of Locked on Bills now because Joe had already announced the the birth of his, his daughter, Rebecca Jean. And also, they're expecting a Nick and Nolan. So I'm like, okay, well, crap, I kind of have to tell them I'm going to be out of commission this week. The problem is once you do that, now you have to tell them, like, when you're better and things like that. And we're entering a whole level of, you know, personal sharing, sharing that I'm not really comfortable with. Uh, but but here I am. I'm back and I'm 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 better than ever. Well, we are glad to have you back. And you are you are full speed ahead. You are you are 100 percent right. Your offseason surgery was successful. Absolutely. I'm back. I'm back. All right. Wonderful. Wonderful. Well, in your absence, we had on John Ramsey, who was from Yards Per Pass, which is an interesting follow, a terrific follow on Twitter, somebody who I, I haven't heard on a whole lot of podcasts and was excited to have him come on. And he spoke, well, he and I both, we spoke a lot about Josh Allen, and he shared specifically his research project that is looking into whether or not quarterbacks really progress into greatness, what he, what he categorized as greatness in a particular stat. After their second year and you and I are going to have a conversation about Josh Allen and about another thing that potentially could be influential about whether or not Josh Allen is going to become the player that we all want him to be. Yeah. Yeah. The conversation that we're going to have about today is around the wide receiver position. I'm going to try to summarize what I understand the demeanor of Bills fans to be right now around the topic of, of bringing on wide receiver talent. And I'd like you to vet me and tell me if, I, if I'm if I'm on base or off base or there's something particularly interesting that I'm missing. And then we'll talk about how if the Bills do certain things at the wide receiver position, whether or not it's going to move the needle for Josh Allen's expectations. So I think that right now, all of Bills Mafia is thinking that what we did at the wide receiver position this year was a move in the right direction, mostly because we were pretty much at the basement floor in 2018. Any movement was a movement in the right direction because yeah. the receivers that were on our starting roster to start 2018 aren't in the NFL anymore. Yes! Whoa! Right, right, correct. 
So sub-rosterable talent. <laughs> yeah. So with that being the case, to have John Brown have a thousand yard season, to have Cole Beasley come on and contribute in the way that he did, to I, I mean, beyond that, it actually was a little bit iffy because you had Isaiah McKenzie, who was a consistent player, but you felt like they were trying to they were trying to find something else for a time. You know, Zay Jones didn't work out. Duke Williams kind of caught on, and then I think maybe let us down a little bit in in the wild card game. You know, had an opportunity at some difficult catches, which were kind of his calling card, and he didn't bring them down. And if he brings those down, if he brings down that difficult pass in the end zone. Not only is it a different game, it's a totally different conversation about how we feel about the offensive talent going into next year. This is my opinion. So so we move in the right direction, but people are still saying that that position room is not a finished product with the bodies that are in it, that high-end talent is needed. And I think it's interesting because now we at one point in time, you and I had a conversation about how the Bills were building the roster in such a way where you didn't have to worry about other guys developing around Josh Allen while Josh Allen was developing. We were surrounding him with reliable, known commodity veterans. This year, I think the thing that got a little bit hairy with that was Dawson Knox having to get pushed into a lot of playing time because of Tyler Croft, Tyler Croft being that known commodity, but not not being able to play due to injury. And then just the shift into Devin Singletary's workload. So now we're at a point where maybe we are going to add a player who is going to be younger and behind Josh Allen on the development curve at the wide receiver position. Or maybe we are going to go out and we're going to get a high end free agent talent. There are a couple to be had, or maybe we're not going to do either of those. We're going to settle for second tier talent. Here's the big question that I want to know. If the Bills add a premier wide receiver talent, an elite talent, and you can maybe define and categorize that how you will. If the Bills do that, does that change the expectations for Josh Allen and his development timing for where we want him to be at the end of 2020 if he does or does not have that player. I think we should start this conversation by defining elite. I think that's what we should do before we get into the expectation setting. I'm, so I'm okay with that. Let's define elite receiver. So would you argue that Tyreek Hill is an elite receiver? Yes. Would you argue that Devontae Adams is an elite receiver? I would, yes. Would you argue that DeAndre Hopkins is an elite receiver? I would, yes. Would you argue that Mike Evans is an elite receiver? I would, yes. Okay. So those Do you four disagree players, on any of those? No. Okay. All right. Those four players, I would all I would agree. I would consider them elite receivers. They are very, very, very different players. Tyreek Hill to Mike Evans. And then you've got DeAndre Hopkins and Devontae Adams in the middle. I mean, I, I, that's pretty extreme. Yes. And I think that that's important. So let's start with the idea that there are many ways to skin that cat. At one point, I would argue that Deshaun Jackson was an elite receiver in the league at one point. And so let's start with the baseline that you can acquire the status of being elite through multiple different methods. I would argue that eliteness, if you will, is a sum of you qualifying a quantity. And I'll tell you what I mean by that. 
everybody has traits that they think are important in a wide receiver. And whether you know it or not, this is what you're doing when you're calling somebody elite. You are taking those traits that you feel are important. You're dismissing traits that you don't feel are relevant. Yeah, you're weighting them. You're weighting them, right? Yeah. And you are grading them. And then you are adding up the sum of those grades in your head. And there's a threshold that you are drawing. <laughs> and people who above that are threshold, you're calling elite. And people below that threshold, yeah. you're not. And it's an arbitrary threshold. It's because completely it's, arbitrary. It's not right? defined. And it's and no. what's, what's different from one person to the next, you know. But that's what you're doing when you call somebody elite. So let's say that you decide. Let's just let's, let's play through this mentally. Let's say that we decide that catching reliability, ability at the catch point, separation, yards after catchability, these are the four traits we're going to use. Let's just say that these are the four traits, okay? And then we go through these players and we say, okay, zero to 100, how good are they at these these things? These are Madden ratings. Completely arbitrary Madden ratings, right? Yeah. And then we add up the sum of those things. And then we draw a completely another arbitrary threshold for elite, and we say, okay, but eliteness is subjective. So let's start with that. But that's the process we're all doing. Whether you realize you're doing it or not, that's how you're determining elite. Now, you might have one trait, and that's all that matters to you. Oh, you know. Size. Size. All the elite receivers are big. Okay, you're wrong, but that's what you're doing, right? And you're saying, okay, bigger the better. Mike Evans is elite. Everyone else sucks, okay? Okay, you're clearly a Tampa Bay fan, but that's just the way that is. Maybe Mike Evans or maybe Michael Thomas. Okay, let's go. Michael Thomas is the most is the best receiver in the league. Okay, great. Is it route running and hands? Okay, great. So you're clearly weighting route running and hands above all else. So whether you realize or not, that's what you're doing when you're determining eliteness. So let's start with that. Elite is completely subjective and there's nothing we can do about it. So let's start by defining it and realizing that it is undefinable from an objective standpoint. Great. Now, let's say we add someone like that to the wide receiver room this year. I think the method by which we acquire them matters to answer this question. I think if you acquire them via free agency, I think it's different than if you acquire them via the draft. Well, okay. Okay. Then let's do it in two parts. Because I, 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 I'm very interested in in the, the differences, depending on how it goes. So we're concerned, I'm concerned, primarily with how these things affect Josh Allen. Josh Allen, if we're talking about like a, you know, a scientific experiment, we have the apparatus that, that exists around Josh Allen. And we are going to introduce a catalyst. Correct. Okay. And then we want to know if the fact of this catalyst being present does that mean that Josh Allen needs to show us more this season than he otherwise would if we didn't introduce the catalyst? I think that that answer is different for whether that elite receiver is acquired via free agency or draft. And I think the answer is more slanted toward, yes, he needs to show us more if you acquire the receiver via free agency. If you go out and get A.J. Green or Amari Cooper, I think that has a different effect on your expectation for Josh Allen than if you draft LaVisca Chenault at 22. Okay. So let's talk about, hypothetically, the wide receivers. And now, anybody could be had in a hypothetical situation. Anybody could be had via trade. We will, left that, we will leave that off to the side. Who are the players 
that are in the league that are currently established who at least have the opportunity to be playing in this elite space? Who are the guys that would be available this year to add to the room via free agency? Amari Cooper and AJ Green. It's 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 those two guys. As far as I'm concerned, yes. Those are the two people who have a chance to they've been elite before. They have have a chance to be elite on the Bills. And if we acquired them, we would be paying a fairly notable price with the idea that they would be elite here. Okay. So if that's the case, is it different? Between the two because of their different skill sets. No. Explain. They are both elite. They both acquire elite different ways. And as such, elite, we're assuming in this case, even though you acquire the elite status via different methods, we're assuming elite is a constant. Correct? We are assuming that. And if you're assuming elite is a constant, then AJ Green's eliteness has the same effect on your expectation, even though the, we understand that there are variables and differences in the way they be utilized in their skill sets. His eliteness adds the same effect to the Josh Allen question as Amari Cooper's eliteness. The thing if I, you assume elite is a constant. The thing I want to challenge you on that, I guess, or that I, I, I would want more additional clarity on is that. Let's say that we line up. I'm just going to these again. These are all made up situations, right? So you've got John Brown, Cole Beasley and A.J. Green on the field. They're all in Bill's uniforms. They're with Josh Allen. The things that A.J. Green does that make him special are going to ask different kinds of throws, decisions and timing to be made by Josh Allen and allow him to excel. Right. Then if you line up the exact same play and everything else is the same except for it's Amari Cooper instead of AJ Green. Yes. Right? You're going to be asking Josh Allen to do some different kinds of things with that player, right? I mean, you're not it's the same thing as like do you throw a lot of jump balls to Cole Beasley? Not ideally, right? Be, but that we did that on the very last play of the season, right? <laughs> Which is why you gave me that look that just happened because that's that's how things fell. But that's not exactly what you're going to say. Josh Allen needs to develop the jump ball if he's going to be successful with Cole Beasley, right? I mean, we're going to be asking him to do different things with A.J. Green versus Amari Cooper. I, I guess I, I can accept your answer if the answer is is this. Josh Allen is at a point in his career where whatever you give him that is exceptional, he needs to be able to take advantage, mm -hmm. period. Yes. Is that the case considering his long development curve and the sort of way that we were always talking about wanting to cater to him? Are we turning a corner where we're asking him now, you just have to be able to do the things that you have to be able to do? Yes, there is a difference in the way we're approaching this discussion now versus the way we approached it at the beginning of 2019. When we were having a discussion about whether or not Duke Williams or Isaiah McKenzie should be the sixth receiver on the roster. And it was, if Josh Allen can't take advantage of it, it doesn't matter. Well, first off, Josh Allen gave Duke Williams 10 targets in a playoff game. So that's not a question anymore. Also, you're two years in. They're, my excuses for you are, are, are lessening. At this point, the fact that their styles are different should not be a detractor from a quarterback if he's going to be a franchise guy. If you give him A.J. Green and and he can't take advantage of A.J. Green, at that point, it's a Josh Allen problem. Okay. What's your appetite for either of those guys? I have an appetite for A.J. Green. I do. I, I think he can be had for somewhere in the low double digits per year, APY. 
And I think that I think that he's the type of person that Brandon Bean is willing to give money to. He's shown that he's not necessarily afraid of getting oft injured players. Now, oft injured, we can debate whether or not that applies to A.J. Green based on his games played over the last three years, but he, he struggled with some foot problems, right? I have an appetite for that as free agent signing. I do. You know, if you give me, you know, two years, 24 mil for A.J. Green, I'd take that. Can you give us a little bit of a synopsis of where he is in his career? Because Bills fans, I don't think, follow how long guys have been in the league or how old they are or anything like that. A.J. Green's first year with Cincinnati was 2011. That was the Julio Jones, A.J. Green draft. Uh, the Falcons stole a lot of the limelight because they traded all the way up with the Browns, like a bajillion spots to get Julio Jones. But A.J. Green went that same class and was generally considered to be the top wide receiver in that class. He promptly started off his career with multiple thousand yard receiver seasons. And until this past year had over 950 yards receiving every single year. And he didn't have a whole lot of injury problems. No. In 2018 is when he started to when I say this past year, I mean, 18, right? We're, we're still in the 19, you know, still the 19 season, 1920 season right now. So he started off with Cincinnati, had thousand receivers and he had, you know, 13, then 14, then a thousand, then 13, then like just shy of a thousand, then a little over a thousand. Then he had like 700. And then this year, the kind of bottom bottomed out this year. So with the foot injury, he just couldn't quite get just couldn't quite get right. And foot injuries are tricky, right? Sammy Watkins has been struggling with them. I burned my foot very badly on my foreman grill, and I now need someone to come and bring me into work. I I trust the Bills medical staff when it comes to foot stuff. LaVisca Chenault actually has some foot issues. People like to kind of blow over that when they're talking about LaVisca Chenault. But it is, it's something where he's had his big money contract. He got his second deal and it was big. And now he's at the end of his second deal and he's going for his third deal. So he got his rookie contract. He got his gigantic contract. And now it's his third deal. So what's the, you know, for a guy like him, who's as good as he is, right? There are wide receivers who come in, they have a three-year career and they're out or they're, they're an NFL statistic, right? As far as the average career for guys like AJ green, how long can you be productive in the league? I think if AJ Green's foot holds up, he can continue to be productive because his game wasn't predicated on something that has a tendency to die over a long period of time. So those contested catch receivers, they can continue to be productive in that role. Now, I'm not saying that's the only thing he does. Okay, AJ Green is elite for a lot of different reasons. But when you look at AJ Green, I think that because he has good hands, because he has good body control, because he runs good routes, especially on vertical cutting routes, he's someone who can remain productive into his mid-30s. I don't think that's a, a significant... How old is he now? AJ Green is 31. So, you, I mean, you would feel comfortable... Two or three year deal? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I feel comfortable with that. He's right. just, I mean, he's roughly the same age as Julio Jones. Yeah. Roughly. So... I do have an appetite that I have absolutely no appetite for the Amari Cooper because of the contract he's going to he's going to command. And do you imagine that he's going to get that contract somewhere? I do. I think somebody will pay Amari Cooper 18, 20 million dollars a year. All right. So 
if AJ Green comes on board and we add that to our offense, and we're going to isolate this variable, if you just introduce AJ Green into the Bills offense as it existed in 2019, what kinds of things do you need to see different from Josh Allen than what we actually saw this past year? Well, let's start with being a little bit more accurate with the deep ball. Let's start with being able to get the deep ball in the same general zip code as your the last, receiver. The last four digits have to be the same. The last four digits have to be the same. I mean, we, 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 got, we he's probably always been in the first five, but it's yeah. those last four. It's of those the zip last code. four. It's the postal codes, <laughs> yeah, the subcodes right. that are really important to make sure that he gets it in. So let's start with that. That's the first thing. The second thing is I would need him to consistently show the willingness to throw the contested catches that he was willing to throw to Duke Williams in the playoff game. Those are the two things I would need to see from, I'm not saying A.J. Green can't separate. He absolutely can, but not at the level that someone like a Cole Beasley could in the short area. Not that someone like, you know, John Brown can against man coverage against Miami. So I need him to be able to show the willingness to trust that A.J. Green can make the catch. Okay. Let's take an early break. Then we'll come back. We'll talk about the wide receivers. We'll talk about the draft situation. Then we'll continue on with uh, the Josh Allen stuff and all that. So we'll be right back, everybody. Welcome back. Thank you so much for joining us for this edition of the Nick and Nolan Show. I'm Nick Bat. I'm Bruce Nolan. And we will continue this conversation about how adding an elite talent, a premier talent on the outside at the wide receiver position would affect Josh Allen's development. Before we get into specifically the players that have you have you done the wide receivers? I'm in the middle of the wide receiver class right now. Is you do top bottom? No, I do random. I just pull them out randomly. Oh, okay. So there could be some other guys that haven't you haven't spent I have a lot of time. I have not gotten on. to T Higgins yet at the time of this recording. I have I've 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 seen him live obviously this season when I watched Clemson, but I have not sat down and done T Higgins yet. Okay. Okay. Well, let, let's let's go ahead and just start with the with the general situation. Mm-hmm. If the Bills draft a elite talent. We'll talk about the players specifically in a few minutes. Why why does it speed up the clock or add additional pressure to Josh Allen less if the Bills choose to add an elite, quote unquote, wide receiver through the draft than if they were to pursue AJ Green? Because you added a young player around a young player. You added a player at a Now wide receivers don't take as long to develop as they used to because NFL coaches are getting better at being able to fit them in and ask them to do things that they're good at. And we've consistently seen, especially day two receivers, come in and have significant impacts. And DK Metcalf and A.J. Brown and, you know, all these players who just in this last class ended up being really good. I mean, one of them's going to play in the Super Bowl. Debo Samuel, who you remember, I was a Debo Samuel fan. He's going to play in the Super Bowl. And he's had an impact on that team. So, it used to be that wide receivers had a, a much more significant learning curve, but as the NFL offenses have actually begun to emulate more college offenses, that learning curve has really lessened a little bit. But there's still much more of a learning curve to a young player getting used to the NFL than there is a veteran, a guy who's a professional. He knows how to do what he's supposed to do. He knows about option routes. He knows how to do the things he needs to do to be productive. So there's always a bigger risk and a, a, a more significant development curve associated with drafting a player as opposed to signing a player. That's just the way it is. It's like you, it's like you always talk about when you talk about known commodities, right? AJ Green is a known commodity. Now, you has an unknown availability, but you know the commodity you're getting. 
there's a question as to whether or not the commodity will be available because of the injury risk, but you know what you're getting. And when you have that, that's less of a variable. So you have Josh Allen developing and you're adding another piece that is a known commodity. When you have Josh Allen developing and you add an unknown commodity, that is going to naturally be looked at differently. Okay. As of now, and it's super early in the draft process, so you can reserve the right to change your mind later. Approximately how many guys coming out are going to fit the category of elite? This is talked about as being a very deep wide receiver draft. It is. I, like I said, I'm not done with the wide receiver class. But I think Jerry Judy, Henry Ruggs, C.D. Lamb, LaVisca Chenault, and Jalen Rager. T. Higgins isn't on your list. T. Higgins is not. I will say this. I have not finished my film work on T. Higgins, right? But I've seen him live this year multiple times. I don't think T. Higgins is going to be my top five wide receiver list. Okay. So you said how many guys? Five? Five. Realistically... This is a total shot in the dark, but for you pay attention to the draft more than many. So realistically, how far down do you think one of those five guys could be? Well, first of all, who do you think is number one, if you had to guess right now? I personally like Jerry Judy the best. Who would be number five on that list? Probably, probably Chenault. What's the gap between them? Fairly notable. It's it's. I mean, it's not like, you know, catastrophic. Yeah, yeah. But it's it's clearly you know, top five, top ten, top twelve talent versus bottom of the first round talent. I mean, there's a, okay. You know, there's ten spots, fifteen spot difference. So how low do you imagine that whoever the last guy in that kind of a tier could go? Could they wind up in the second round? Yeah, I think there's a chance Jalen Rager is there in the second round. I think there's a chance. I I don't. I don't know. It depends on how much they slip. I, I, I think that there's zero chance that Judy or CeeDee Lamb are there. I think there's a very small, very small chance that Henry Ruggs is there. I think LaVisca Chenault and Jalen Rager are very likely to both be there In at the, 22. At, the, at 22. At 22. What about making it to day two? I don't think any of those five will be there when we pick in the second round. Okay. Would they be available early day two if we wanted to trade up, do you think? Possibly. And I, I would not be shocked to see that happen. If we went edge rusher at 22 and then traded up in the second round, that would not shock me at all. In fact, I, I, I mean, it's very early, but I very well might predict that. Is there a particular characteristic amongst elite or amongst the kinds of things people talk about whenever they're talking about a wide receiver being a premier talent that is more valuable to us either because of the team that we already have on the roster skill set we already have or because of what Josh Allen brings to the table than others I think it's easy to look at our current stable of wide receivers and say you know we need someone who can who can win at the catch point we need someone who has catch radius and can make the contested catches at the catch point I think it's really easy to say that's what we need. Now, you and I have talked about this before, and Brandon Bean actually talked about it in an article for The Athletic. I was really excited because you and I talked about it on the pod, and then it showed up in a Brandon Bean interview with The Athletic, and I was like, yes. You know, talking about not passing up a better player for stylistic purposes. 
you and I have talked about this before. That's how you get James Hardy over Deshaun Jackson, right? Because, oh, we need a tall receiver. And that's what I'm concerned about when Buffalo Bills fans dismiss Jalen Rager. Well, he's 5'11", 195. Where does he play? TCU. They dismiss him. Like, oh, well, you know, we don't. No, no. Off the board. So I'm, so I'm sorry. You don't want a great player because he's not 6'4". That's what you're saying? No, thank you. Like, if he's there on the board in the second round when we pick, I will scream at the television. I don't care that he's not 6'4". Would it be good to have that trait? Yes, it would be good to have that trait. But he's the best. He's Okay, I don't know he's going to be the best player on the board, but it, it seems very likely that if he's there at that point, he's the best player on the board. And you and I have talked about how getting the best player helps insulate you against roster fluidity. And Brandon Bean talked about that in his interview with The Athletic. I mean, one of the reasons why I love The Athletic so much and the work that Joe Biscaglia and Matthew Fairburn and Tim Graham and others do in The Athletic is they know what the fans want to hear and they just go and get that. So what you're thinking, what the narrative is, they go get it. So the the Twitterverse is blowing up about the Patrick Mahomes thing. And The Athletic's like, okay, well, let's go ask Tredavious White how he feels about it. And bam, right there, we get the answers. And so that's going to be a point of contention amongst Bills fans this draft season is, oh, I need a big receiver because they value that trade so much. And I, I agree. I want that trade, too. I just don't want it at the expense of a better player. So let's I mean, if, if people want to do a, an exercise, because if, if you hear that and you still think I, I just don't see how it could work if we add another small player, if you take Tyreek Hill and you isolate him from the off the field stuff. If you take his talent and you have the opportunity to add him to the Buffalo offense, nobody says no. Nobody says no. Nobody says no. Well, because we already have John Brown and Cole Beasley and Isaiah McKenzie. And we just, you know, I really want, I really want someone bigger. Nobody says no to a talent like that. Now, I don't know if Jalen Rager is going to be that kind of player. I'm not saying that he would, but if you thought he was going to be, you wouldn't say no. Right. Yes. And so so understand that, you know, that's part of how this, you know, how you have to think about this. And I'm hoping probably how Brandon Bean and Brian Gain and Joe Shane, they all rhyme. Isn't that weird? And Lake Dawson and Dan Especially Morgan. rhymes if you have uh, like, a, like a Southern draw and you go Brandon Bain. Yeah, yeah, Joe right. Joe Shane, Brian Gain. Yeah, yeah. And Lake Dawson if, and Dan Morgan. If all those guys I are I can't make those rhyme. If those guys are all thinking – about it in that way that that makes a lot of sense as to why we would how we could wind up with a player with that particular stature okay do you have a favorite right now receiver that you understanding the bills and their capital okay understanding their additional needs right there there are details there is context that matters yes Jerry, Judy, and CeeDee Lamb are maybe your favorites, right? Maybe everybody's favorites. Okay. We're probably not going to pull another Sammy Watkins, nor do we want to, to go get that player. Okay. So understanding the Bills' context, understanding the capital that they have to work with, and understanding initially how these guys could potentially fall. And we're going to have a lot more conversation about the draft. So we don't have to... I'm not going to hold you to this or anything, but initially, is there a favorite that you think fits kind of 
all of the moving pieces that what the bills want, what the bills need. What a girl wants, what a girl needs, whatever makes me happy sets you free. And what the bills have to spend that could influence and work out that we grab one of these guys. I like LaVisca Chenault. I, under, you know, I understand so, like, everybody else. Is I understand saying that. everybody else likes them, too. I get but I, I'm not I'm not a hipster. I don't dislike things just because other people do. So, I think a lot of people in the what? draft draft community just trying so hard to be different and have a hot take that they they just try too hard. Yeah. Well, and the, the reason why is because I think he allows us to replace both Isaiah McKenzie and Duke Williams. Have you done That's your why. have you done your tape on him? I have done my tape. Okay, on so give Chenault. us give us, you know, a couple minutes on LaVisca Chenault. I really like LaVisca Chenault in a lot of different ways. I Wh- think where is he from? He's from Colorado. And LaVisca Chenault was essentially the entirety of that offense. The entire of the offense was, okay, how do we get this one good guy who we have on our team the ball? It reminded me a lot of when you look at like peewee and high school teams and they have one dominant athlete and they just go, we're just going to run the whole darn offense <laughs> through this guy. It's going to be end arounds to this guy. Then we're going to throw bubble screens to this guy. We're going to have this guy take the snap out of the, out of the wildcat. Whatever we got to do to get this superior talent, the ball, we're going to do it. That was a lot of what the Colorado offense was with LaVisca Chenault. And he still had success? And he still had success. Everyone knew they That's were impressive. coming for him. Now, to be fair, you know, Pac-12, not historically known for being, you know, the bedrock of significant defense. But the fact that he was the only game in town, I think, matters. Now, he comes with some some fairly notable concerns about jack-of-all-trades, master-of-none kind of thing. His route running, I think, was hindered by the fact that they were trying so hard to just get him the ball that there was some nuance to his craft that he didn't get. Um, someone like Jerry Judy is an infinitely more advanced route runner than LaVisca Chenault. However, one of the things I like about that, actually, is that when he comes in, you can come in and have a role, give him something to do while that stuff develops. You can have him take the the jet sweep motion that previously went to Isaiah McKenzie. You can have him do that. You can have him get the bubble screens that previously were not part of the offense because we didn't really have much of a significant yak receiver. In this offense, you can you can find ways to Colorado up your offense while his traits develop. And I think that allows him to have more of a potential impact year one than potentially other receivers could. I will say this right now. I think LaVisca Chenault will have more of an impact on his team year one than T. Higgins, assuming, you know, basic parameters are met. Offenses are reasonably competent. Quarterback plays are reasonably competent. They're not both. They're not hurt. I think that one of the things that's exciting about that prospect and that makes me do believe it does make me believe that he could contribute early is that some of that stuff is designed to take advantage of the of the defense just being out of position, just taking advantage of them not being disciplined. Uh, The end around stuff. I mean, that that it's designed to put the defense in a compromised position. It's not designed to line up and beat them because you're better at doing your job than they're doing at their job. It's designed to say to make them think hard and take advantage of, you know, elite speed and all that kind of stuff. So, okay, that makes a lot of sense to me. Is there anything that people have been saying about LaVisca Chenault that you think maybe isn't quite on par? Has he been described inaccurately by anybody? I don't think so. I haven't noticed any particularly crazy talk about LaVisca Chanel. I think it's a very, very reasonable sort of scouting vibe about him right now. Well, if he's if he's kind of a master 
of non jack of all trades. I mean, that's kind of easy to, because you're right about everything you say almost. It's like he can, you know, he, he can bully at the catch point. I think I trust him in contested catch situations, right? There's some very obvious route running development that needs to be done. And we all agree on that. Everyone pretty much agrees on LaVisca Chenault. And the reason why he's not a top 12 player is because his route running is not up to par yet. It's not up to snuff. And, but we all also agree that that's something that wide receiver coaches at a professional level can help you with. So if that's your flaw, I wouldn't be shocked to see LaVisca Chenault go before the Bills pick at 22. Because they look at him and go, you know, he can do the stuff we need him to do. But I wouldn't be shocked. If we added LaVisca Chenault to the Bills offense, again, freeze all the other variables. You line up. You've got John Brown, LaVisca Chenault, Cole Beasley. What are the things that you need to see from Josh Allen in 2020 that you might not otherwise need to see from him if you didn't have LaVisca Chenault on the field? I don't think I need to see the deep ball any better from the addition of him. We still need to see the deep ball better from Josh Allen. We need to see that regardless of who we add. (laughs) But his addition doesn't change that. I do think that the the secondary point that I made about A.J. Green, the the willingness to throw it to a covered receiver, because when you have someone who has good physical traits, but they they lack a little of that route running nuance, they're not always going to be as open. And I think I'll need to be able to see Josh Allen say, you know what, I trust him. I'm going to throw the ball in there on, for example, like a slant route that we saw with Duke Williams. He was willing to gun it in against Tennessee when Duke Williams was covered. I need to see him throw that to LaVisca Chenault. The rest of it, you don't, I don't think it moves the needle a whole lot because he's taking Isaiah McKenzie's jet sweeps and he's taking bubble screens, which just Josh Allen, don't screw it up. I mean, Bubble screen is not high on your list of oh good the quarterback can do that. Yeah. Don't <laughs> but, make it. Don't make any highlight in the opposite direction. Don't make any low light right. throws. If on you the throw a pick six on a bubble screen, now we'll talk. If you throw it over everybody's head into the bench, if you throw it into the ankles, those are bad bubble screen passes. Sure. Don't do those things. We assume there's a reasonable amount of competency necessary to throw a bubble screen. Who do you think is the second most likely? If if Lavisca Chenault's the most likely of these five that could potentially wind up in the Bills' hands, is there one of the other guys that you think is the second most likely? Either because you think there's a possibility that Bills could fall in love with him and move up, or because you think that it's just possible he'll be there in the range that we are picking. So you're asking me for the most likely scenarios here. Yes. Okay. I would say the first most likely scenario is we pick Lavisca Chenault at number at number twenty two. The second most likely scenario is that we trade up in the second round and get T. Higgins. Okay, and he's not one of your top five. He is not. And you haven't done your your work on him. Well, I haven't finished my work on him. You haven't finished your work on him. Yeah. Okay. I've watched him live, obviously. I have, if, a, I have a good working knowledge on him. If, if Same question then to T. Higgins versus LaVisca Chenault. If you isolate everything else, it's John Brown, Cole Beasley, and T. Higgins on the field. What do you need to see from Josh Allen in 2020 that you might not otherwise need to see if T. Higgins wasn't on the field? The same two improvements that I need to see if we signed A.J. Green. They'll be a little bit more, a little bit less um, urgent, I think, because I understand that T. Higgins is not A.J. Green. Yeah. All right. Do you think that in the eyes of the team, so here's, this whole question came about to me because I am a little bit apprehensive about if we add some 
person that everybody thinks is just, you know, uh, a world beater. Everyone is just over the moon about this particular player. That if we add that player and it, there is not this immediate substantial success between that player and Josh Allen, then people are going to turn on Josh Allen quicker than they otherwise would. And if that's not the right thing to do, that that scares me because it, it, we could all of a sudden find ourselves in a situation where we are making poor decisions. I don't know that necessarily the team would be making them, but the conversation amongst the fans would be around a tone that I wouldn't totally agree with. You know, that Josh Allen is the problem, that Josh Allen needs to be able to make this work. It, it, there was a little bit of this with Sammy and, and Tyrod, right, where Tyrod people still got on Tyrod for not being able to get the ball to Sammy enough. And they got on the offense for not being able to get Sammy the ball enough. I have a, a fear of a top tier guy creating undue pressure and unrest and that people's expectations may not be realistic. I'm kind of rambling on this, but do you understand where I'm coming from? Do you understand my fear? I think so. Yeah. I think I know what you're getting at. Do, do you share that fear at all? No. I don't share that fear because it's Josh Allen's third year. I don't really – I don't have a lot of excuses at this point. I understand that that narrative might be a thing. I get it. If we add A.J. Green and then Josh Allen doesn't take off, the fans could turn on him. I understand that. And all the people who are currently telling me, no, they won't, might still do it because fans are fickle and that's just what happens. But the – Everything in life is a value proposition. It's what you give versus what you get. And if you tell me that I'm going to run that risk, but I'm also going to acquire a talent that can help Josh Allen take the next step, I'm doing it. I don't care about the narrative. I don't care. Because it's all going to it's all going to come out in the fire anyway. And if he can't handle the fire, if he can't handle that, that pressure, then he wasn't the guy anyway. I guess the thing that keeps bouncing around in my mind that I, I don't know that we fully moved beyond is if we are going to treat Josh Allen in that way and the time frame and the timeline of when he needs to acquire whatever level of competency that he that he does. If that is going to be moved by adding a premier talent, have we migrated entirely away from the Josh Allen has a long development curve conversation at that point? I think three years is a long development curve. Adding Allen Robinson took excuses away for Mitchell Trubisky, but it didn't. It didn't make Mitchell Trubisky somehow have a narrative issue. Now, I think taking excuses away, we should be we should be look forward to that. We should want that. If you're afraid of losing an excuse for Josh Allen, you subconsciously don't think Allen's the guy. Oh, I'm very afraid he's not the guy. I'm right. terrified he's not the guy. So because so we should look for, whether you think he's the guy or whether you think he's not the guy, either way, you should look forward to removing excuses like he doesn't have top-end wide receiver talent. Yeah, that's like, I mean, I understand what you're saying because logically it gets you closer to either the next opportunity to find the guy or right. you, it gets you closer I to... I want an answer, Nick. That's what I want. I want an answer. I want to know if he's the guy. And I don't want there to be excuses about it. So let's go get some elite talent and help this young guy out and find out if he's the dude. Yeah, I... 
really don't want the answer to be no. Well, I don't want it to be no either. But, but I really, really, really don't want but it. us acquiring I, the elite receiver won't make it be no when it wasn't going to be no anyway. That, I guess, is the fear that I think maybe it, it could or that it could create the appearance of that being the case. And maybe that's a maybe that's an unrealistic fear. And that's I, I have unrealistic fears all the time. That's par for the course. I'm happy. To, I'm happy. I think this entire pod is based around that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, it is exactly right. And I think that that's that's fine. I, the concern for me is that we add AJ Green or we add whatever, add, add whoever, and maybe the offense doesn't take a significant step forward. And maybe at that point in time, I am going to say, you know, Brian Dable, ha- he has ceased to evolve. You know, he has ceased to take this to the next step. Things could things could change and there could be other variables that would be a problem. And I just wonder if you say that you added this, you added this generation, this generation of Bill's, you know, roster, you added Sammy Watkins. Now there's no longer an excuse there. Now with EJ, there was never, it was never going to work. I'm not totally there with Josh because he has already come so far. And I really think that he's already come further than we expected him to be at this point. So now you're going to add something else. And maybe the initial perspective on Josh that he did need time, that he was going to be a long developing quarterback. Maybe all of a sudden that shows up and it's that's we, we, we see that be more true than it has been the last year. How do we deal with that? You accept that maybe he's not the guy. So adversity, there's this phrase that adversity builds character. And I think it's an absolute load of horse crap. That adversity builds character thing, miss me with that. Adversity reveals character. Adversity is fire. And when you want to test something, so there's this, there's a, um, there's a method by which you would test the purity of a metal and you would throw it in the fire and fire reveals the purity of a metal because as it melts down, you can tell what it, what it is. And that's what this scenario is. And I want to know what Josh Allen is. So I'm going to take as many excuses as I possibly can. I want to get him a good offensive line. I want to get him another running back in the background. I want to get Josh Allen all the stuff because I want to cross all the excuses off the list. Now, there's a chance that we do that and there's still one excuse left and it's time. And I'm okay with that. I'm okay with that. But eventually what, what, that one will be crossed off too. What does that look like though? I guess that's my question. My my thing is like, I, I also agree with the last thing you said, that at the end, there could still be this question of time, that he needs just a little bit more time. And if we add somebody that moves the offensive skill set forward. I I'm agree that I I mean ideally there would be no there would be no controversy over this because you would add it the offense would progress Josh Allen would take advantage of the new skill set that he has and everything is good. If that doesn't happen, I'm going to be sorely disappointed. I'm not at all say, I'm not trying to say like I'm going to be in a camp of give Josh Allen give Josh Allen time, but I can imagine a situation where I will feel that way. And that will still be a concern to me. But I can't imagine how that is a popular opinion after adding an elite talent. I think that that opinion is going to be like very, very, very unpopular if 
you have added someone to the offense that is a person that is there for Josh Allen to take advantage of. I don't think the organization gives a flying flip if the narrative turns on Josh Allen six months earlier than it otherwise would have. And if that's the case, so be it, right? If that's the case, so be it. But here's my question. When has the narrative turned on a quarterback because of adding elite talent and then it turns out he was actually the guy? Has that ever happened ever? Yeah, I mean, Can maybe. Can anybody ever <laughs> pick me, somebody like that? No. Is, I, I, listen, did did the Bears fans turn on Trubisky because they added Allen Robinson? No, Allen Robinson just crossed the he needs an elite receiver excuse off of the plate. It revealed Mitchell Trubisky, and that's what I want. Don't we all want Josh Allen to be re- Why are we hiding? Don't we want Josh Allen to be revealed? I do. I I just really want it to be yes. So I'm so afraid that it's no and that we have to go back. That we have to go back. So right now it's Schrodinger's quarterback is what you're saying. Right now it is Schrodinger's quarterback and you don't want to open the box because you just want it to be there forever. Okay, so Schrodinger, right? This 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 concept, Schrodinger's cat is the concept that if you put a cat in a box, okay, and you leave the cat in the box and you come back later, the cat is both alive and dead because you don't know because you didn't open the box. It's a philosophical concept, right? And until you open the box, you don't know whether the cat's alive or dead. So right now, what, before you open the box, the both cat is simultaneously both alive and also dead. This is Schrodinger's quarterback. Right now, Josh Allen is simultaneously the guy and not the guy. But until you get him the crap he needs and start crossing off excuses, you're not going to know. It's just very emotionally upsetting if he's not the guy. <laughs> it is just, it, 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 I don't, I don't feel much. I don't know. I, know, I, I understand, <laughs> and this is the difference between you and me. The prospect of finding out at the end of this year that Josh Allen is not the guy, and that potentially that costs. I mean, how many times do regimes get two shots at quarterback? It's it's not often. Now maybe Brandon Bean and Sean. McDermott. I don't think it. Cro- I, I don't. If Josh Allen's not the guy, I don't think it costs McDermott his job. Does it cost Bean his job? I don't think so. I think they give him another swing at it. That's good. Because they've done so many other things well. That's what I mean. That's, that's again, this all kind of comes back to that. If Josh Allen's not the guy, it, it's not an individual domino. Most of the time, that is not an individual domino right. to fall. I think in this case, with the Pagulas and what's going on with their franchises historically and how stabilized they've gotten and how they've gotten to the playoffs twice, both with guys who in that point, in, in that scenario, would not be the guy. You got the playoffs twice with two different quarterbacks who were not the guy. I'll give you another crack at it. Sure, why not? Because worst case scenario, we pick another guy who's not the guy. You still get to make the playoffs with him. So I, I agree. I, I I think that the Pagulas would keep Bean and McDermott, even if Josh Allen isn't the guy. Now, to be fair, he could not be the guy, and we could still pick up his fifth-year option, and we could still sign him to an extension. That's a possibility, too. Yeah, I mean Andy Dalton is the guy who gave AJ Green all those year, all those yards, right. and he's had a long career in, in Cincinnati. And he was the guy, nope. right? Ryan Tannehill got a, a big extension from Miami, not the guy. Just because you get the second contract after the fifth year option doesn't mean you're the guy. Yeah, yeah, I guess I, I that that's the fear. The fear is that Josh Allen isn't the guy, and then all of the progress that we have made as an organization. We are a different organization right now than we were in 2014. The the opinion of us across the league about our competency, about our respectability, all of these things have changed significantly in the last three years. 
And I am deathly afraid that if Josh Allen is not the guy, that it's not just that he's not the guy. It's that this regime is gone because that's what happens when you get the quarterback wrong. Not only do I not think it would happen that way, I would not be in favor of it happen. So this is one of those things where what I want and what I think. Oh, I agree. I don't want it. I, I do not think they would get rid of Bean and McDermott. And I don't want them to get rid of Bean and McDermott if Allen's not the guy. I'd give him another crack at it. A lot of people are going to say it's a fireable offense to take him when Rosen was available to not. I mean, people are already talking about the Mahomes situation. So, I mean, absolutely not. Yeah, I'll I'll fight you on that. Sure. Yeah. DM me. I'll send you my address. We'll fist fight over it. It's fine. (laughs) Doubt it. I I actually won't do that. I'm I'm actually a, a significant pacifist. So, no, I would not do that. I. Yeah, that's ultimately we've gotten to the crux of it. That's ultimately what this whole thing was about for me. Is it, are we going to speed up Josh Allen's clock? If we speed up Josh Allen's clock, that creates the potential that we label him not the guy. Maybe he could work out otherwise if we didn't put that label on him in that time frame. If he's not the guy and he goes, then we lose all the progress that we've made. I don't see a scenario where adding an elite talent can be a net negative, Nick. Somehow you've created a scenario here where adding an elite talent is a net negative. And people, somehow we have done an entire pod on whether or not adding elite weapons around Josh Allen is actually a bad thing. And <laughs> and I have and, sat here and entertained this bullshit. And people think that you're the talent. <laughs> <laughs> what I just did was what I just did was difficult. It's magic, man. It's freaking magic. What I just did was very you difficult. You have constructed a hypothetical narrative out of thin air. Yeah, it's a talent. I mean, I, absolutely. This is, exa- I mean, you can blame whatever you want. This is the fear whenever you are terrible for 17 years and you grow up in a community around a successful team. All of those things, I mean, they develop these neuroses. You're damaged, Nick. That's what it is. Damaged goods, man. You're damaged. Damaged goods. Absolutely. And I'll wear it. I'll wear it proudly. You just got to be more of a scientist and you won't be damaged. All I need you to do is fundamentally change everything about yourself. Let's say the Bills don't add. Let's say they add Robbie Anderson. That's who I just talked to Pat Moran about. Pat was a big fan of adding Robbie Anderson. Feels very similar to me to John Brown signing. I think it could be very interesting. As far as quality of player. Being brought in. I, I mean, think he'll get paid more than John Brown. But do, do you think that Robbie Anderson and John Brown are on significantly different tiers as players? Significantly? No. Or you think they're on different tiers at all? I don't. I hadn't really thought about it until you just said it right now. They feel very, very similar to me. I would put Robbie Anderson's explosiveness above John Brown, but I put John Brown's route running nuance above Robbie Anderson. I, I'm fine with that. I would agree to that. But that's that's the sort of thing that makes me think, okay, so he's a little – I mean, the teeter-totter goes up or down, right? Sure. But to me, they're very comparable, good players, can be very productive, can be dangerous, and just haven't found their home on a team yet. Like that, that really allows them to be everything they could be. That's what John Brown was to me. And here we, we brought him in and he had a 1,000-yard year. I'm not saying that Robbie Anderson would have an identical situation, but if we brought him here, I'm I'm very much in favor of that. I think that's an exciting prospect. If you bring in, if you don't get AJ Green and you bring in Robbie Anderson, if we bring in Robbie Anderson and then we bring on uh, why you know AJ Clusterfuck from the draft, <laughs> call back to that joke, which is one of my favorites that I'm excited to keep using as we get closer to the draft. <laughs> <laughs> AJ Clusterfuck. If we if we do that. 
what do you think of that? If we do that, what do you think of that? I think it crosses off. I mean, you got you to tell me who AJ Clusterfuck is. Yeah, sure. Okay. Let's say that. Um, have you done any work on a guy that's like a, a solid day two guy? Like a, you re, like soft spot for him? Like, oh, it was a Hakeem Butler last year was a guy who you thought was going to be available a little bit later, but was a really good talent that you really I were, loved Hakeem Butler. last right, year. Right. So is there a guy that you have done work on that kind of has a soft that you have a soft spot for it like that? I like Justin Jefferson a lot. OK, so if the Bills add Robbie Anderson in free agency and Justin Jefferson in the draft, now what do you need to see from Josh Allen? My question is, is there anything additional than what we already have to see from him? There is already a wish list. There is already a shopping list of what Josh Allen has got to get better at this coming year, period. No, and this this is the crux of the issue right here. I'm not adding things to Josh Allen's plate. I am facilitating his ability to show me that thing. And that's the way you need to look at it. The way you need to look at it is additional weapons – does not add more burden to Josh Allen. It facilitates his ability to show us his growth. I think I, I agree with that. It removes roadblocks from him. I, I agree with that. It doesn't add more pressure to him. I agree with that. I'm just, I'm, I don't want to open the box. I don't want to know. This is the get... weirdest pod we have I ever done. Like, I'm know. literally, this entire pod is me talking you out of freaking out about adding good players. No, I've I, never, I, we've never done this before. I want to add good players. I want to. I just wondered. I had a legitimate question, which was, if we add good players, does it unrealistically change the clock on Allen? The answer was no, and we got the answer 12 minutes in. You couldn't fucking bury the lead with me, so I've been trying to dance around the issue for the last 50 minutes because you (laughs) gave me the answer immediately. You done messed up, A.A. Ron! Teamwork. It could have been a 12-minute pod, Could have been a 12-minute pod. Could have been a 12-minute pod. You could have told me. When I sent you the text message with all the things I wanted to talk about, you could have said, that's a five-minute pod. Let's not do that. But you really really wanted to talk about it. That's not true. You did give me... (laughs) <laughs> the feedback that you gave me was okay. <laughs> yeah, because I knew that my answer at minute number 12 was not going to be sufficient. I was going to have to literally walk you through this whole thing like we're doing right now. Just lay back on the couch. Tell me about your relationship with your mother, Nick. No. <laughs> I don't want to do that. <laughs> this no. is not my forte. I'm not the psychological I, one. I understand. I understand. Well, it's – yeah. I mean, the answer is no. The answer is no. Absolutely not. It and facilitates his ability to show us his growth and removes excuses that could later be used to wonder if, wonder what if. What if we would have gotten him better talent? What if we would have gotten him a reasonable line? The Jets are going to have a what if with Darnold real quick. I know. Yeah. Mayfield too. And that's what I want. Mayfield what I with, want. with stability at coach. I mm-hmm. mean, you're going you're gonna, to you're gonna get these questions with these guys. And Josh Allen's not going to have any of that stuff. And it doesn't matter whether he's the guy or not from the standpoint of we just have to do what we need to do around him so he can show us whether he is. Yeah. The other thing too is that if the Bills don't answer those questions and he still turns out not to be the guy, then you have this ineptitude on Bean's part. Yep. And now you're talking about that domino falling because yep. they're just not doing their job. Yep. I get it. I you get want it. isolate the variable. I'm just I'm just being completely candid that I am terrified to open the box because I am afraid that if we open the box and the cat's dead, then we have to tear the whole fucking thing down. And I do not want to tear the whole thing. But down. if the cat's dead, don't you want to know? I don't want to tear it down after I know. 
I want to just bury it and keep going. <laughs> I want to keep I want to keep everything else around the box of the dead cat the same. I just want to get rid of the cat. This metaphor is getting strange. <laughs> I apologize, Schrodinger. Yeah, that's what I want. That's what I want. Okay. Let's let's take our last break. We'll come back, do something real quick, and then we'll we'll finish up for the day. Sounds good. Welcome back, everybody. Thank you much for joining us on this uh, on this pod, which has been quite an adventure. And you can tell us all about it in a five star review and what it was like listening to. I'm Nick Bat. I'm Bruce Nolan. Here we go. So we've talked about this in the last segment specifically. We've circled it all evening, though. What are the things on the shopping list? That was the analogy I used. What are the things? That we have to see Josh Allen make progress on. And, you know, if we add a certain kind of receiver, a premier talent of a certain that has a, you know, a receiver that has certain characteristics, maybe we need to see that in week four rather than week seven, right? But maybe we have to see it in week two rather than week four. But what are the things that are on that list that we need to see no matter what? The first thing I want to see from Josh Allen is I want to see better anticipation. From Josh Allen. And this is one of the reasons why I wanted to keep Dable is because I think that Josh Allen's ability to show better anticipation will be facilitated by knowing the playbook and knowing the route combinations better. Josh Allen can get away with it because he's got an unbelievable arm. But he's late on more than a few throws. And he can get away with it a lot of the time. A lot of the time he can get away with it because he has an ungodly cannon. But it'd be nice if he didn't have to use it so much. The best weapon is the one you don't necessarily have to fire every single time, right? And <laughs> I think this is totally off 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 topic. Street Fighter, you know, you use the I, E Honda. Oh, oh yeah, yeah, oh, yeah, absolutely. Blanca, Brazil. Yeah, I've beat so many people by doing nothing but the electrical, like just the, spamming the electrical charge, <laughs> and yes. no one. And every time you can't, you can't touch me. Literally, the game will go on until you get so impatient that you try to touch me, and I harm you every time. You lose. This is why, as far as I'm concerned, playing a player, playing as a character who has a projectile, is a non-negotiable. Hadouken. It's just dealing with that annoyance, because you are not the only person I I fought in the arcade. Who did that? <laughs> so every single time. I beat people who are so much better than me. <laughs> Street Fighter just by mashing the electrical button for Blanca. That's why you can't pick E Honda and you can't pick, you know, Zangief. You have to go with Ken, Ryu, Chung Lee if you deal with the, the versions that have her with a projectile. Dalsim. Does Vega, does, the, does Vega throw something? Vega does not. He does the rolls. But he has a really um, long reach. He has a really long reach, but he'll still get zapped. Yeah. My question is, if you do if you do the M. Bison, you know, back for two seconds, Ford Psycho Crusher, where he spins across the screen and he's surrounded by electrical energy, does that cancel out the Blanca? You know, I have the Street Fighter collection at home. I'm going to go home and I, I will I will update you as to whether or not that works. For science. For science. <laughs> So I will I will update the re, the listeners on Twitter as to whether or not the Psycho Crusher cancels out the electrical attack of Blanca. So the anyway, weapon that you don't have to fire every time. The that weapon was- you don't have to fire every time. So anticipation is the first thing. The second thing is I'd really like to see better better pocket movement from him. So what I mean by that is 
I want to see him manipulate the pocket that doesn't involve him dropping, dropping out of throwing position. So when you say manipulate the pocket while remaining in throwing position, what I mean is shoulders are perpendicular to the line of scrimmage, right? Ball is at the ready and you're able to duck pressure and keep that thing in throwing position rather than drop the hands, scramble, tuck the ball, right? Now you're not in position to throw. Then recreate your platform. And then recreate your platform, reestablish platform and throw. One of his best throws of the year was incomplete. It was the Cowboys throw, and it was he had pressure and s- dropped his shoulders, kept the ball in his chest, pulled back up, stepped forward, pulled back up, and threw a laser, and Dawson Knox dropped it on the sideline. Dawson And Dawson Knox dropped it is a <laughs> unpopular but all-too-common suffix yeah. to the ends of my sentences. But one of the best throws of his, of his year. I want to see better pocket manipulation from Josh Allen. And... That comes with time, and the anticipation, I think, can come with having a scenario where he knows the playbook a little bit better, and he's third year in a system. I'm surprised the deep ball wasn't one of the top things for you. That's a huge thing for me. It happens so infrequently versus the other two. Yeah, I agree. Deep ball, I I mean, you throw it two times a game. But those two times, those two times change the way another team plays defense against you. I, I don't. It's just not high on my wish list. Yeah, I, I, it is. It is for me because of the because of he's never getting those last four digits of the zip code. Right. I need you to get the last four. Of the dig- Like you have to get that right. Because like, it, it, it's yeah, that it's improved as the year went on, too. So I don't think it's necessarily it took it's one, so long. It's one double of those, digit weeks. It's one of those things where it happens so infrequently that one or two differently and it changes the narrative. It's just not something I'm willing to devote a tremendous amount of mental energy to talk about because it happens so infrequently. It's like saying we really need to get better at 60 yard field goals. (laughs) You know? Yeah. I, I don't think they're the same, but I I get your point. The, you know, you know what other thing I like about Robbie Anderson is, do you remember how, Joe Marino was talking about this a ton on Locked on Bills, and, and you said it as well. But like the spacing that was supposed to be created in the defense. By having with, Robert Foster and John, John Brown. Brown at the same time. If you have Robbie Anderson and John Brown on the field at the same time, like that on steroids. Yes, that's absolutely a thing. Now, you might harp on, well, we still don't have a contested catch receiver and blah, 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 blah. Just get a good player, okay? Just Just get a good player. I have a feeling this is an argument I'm going to have with a lot of Bills fans. So just get ready to argue with Bruce about it. It, If we signed Robbie Anderson in free agency, how open to a first round wide receiver are you at that point? Or are you are you really saying go day two on Justin Jefferson? Like does Robbie Anderson, does he scratch the itch for you at all in any meaningful way? Yeah, I think he's a starting caliber receiver. And my main goal is add another top three receiver because the drop off after the first two is fairly significant. I think he's a starting receiver. So he checks the box, starting receiver. Got it. How far is the gap for you? Like how much more do you want AJ Green than you want Robbie Anderson? Notably. Hmm. I I, I like AJ Green's skill set, complimentary. I like his mentality. I think he's the type of individual that you will like to have. I think he checks all of the boxes. Yeah, off the field, he probably helps Josh a lot, too. A.J. Green is, he checks all the boxes, literally all the boxes. He's, he's super process. 
He's, yeah, he's process AF yeah. for sure. And that's a thing where if you can be in Cincinnati and have their scenario and basically never have a peep out of you for AJ Green, he's process AF. So yes, I want AJ Green markedly more than I want Robbie Anderson. But also, your question was, what does that change your appetite? And my appetite, just so you know, my appetite is get an edge rusher at 22. On that note, we will wrap it up. Thank you so much for sitting through this incredibly strange pod. Bruce is just like having physical reactions to what we just put on tape. He's rubbing his eyebrows. He's like... I literally don't know what just happened. <laughs> he's he's having a moment. I hope it was interesting. If it wasn't, leave us a five-star review and tell us it sucks. <laughs> <laughs> sounds, sounds fine to me. Five stars. You suck. <laughs> yeah, I would love it. Uh, thank you guys very much for, for hanging out with us. And uh, we hope that this pod was interesting. Sorry it came out on Friday. Bruce's health is the most important thing. So you had to wait a couple extra days. Hopefully absence makes the heart grow fonder. We will be back next Wednesday with another pod on the normal schedule. And until then, always remember. I do the cha-cha like a sissy girl. I like a do the cha-cha. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>